Geekville Radio. Welcome once again, geeks and geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Xandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio. Coming at you with another episode. This is episode 289. We are closing in on our 300th episode, ladies and gentlemen. And it's a joyous occasion for Marvel movie fans because we finally got the return of the MCU, at least as far as theaters go. We're going to talk that. We're going to talk differences in the MCU with movies that Kevin Feige has announced. We got What If News. We're going to pay our respects to two Hollywood legends and Richard Donner and William Smith. And then we'll wind everything up talking Loki and Black Widow. Unfortunately, I don't have to do it alone. Once again, joining me from the nice soft padded cell in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. I apologize uh, beforehand if you hear a purring sound. That's because my cat is really, really needed today, and he's all up in my face and getting close to my headset mic. Oh, that's a bad thing. I'm a cat person, so I think a purr, purr, the sound of purring is one of my favorite things that cats do. But oh. I apologize if that happens. I can definitely relate to that with both cats at this house because Shadow Cat, it's like some people will, will ask, oh, does a cat need petting? When Shadow Cat wants attention, she takes it from you. It, to stay in the geek world, if you don't have cats, you need to know this. If you have cats, you'll understand. You sit down at your computer is exactly when they decide they need to lay on the keyboard. Right, exactly. You, you, get, up, you get up and walk away, they're going to walk away from the computer. I don't yeah. know why that is. You know, but. Or, or you try to take them off of the keyboard and set them on the floor, and they're just going to pop right back up and sit right back down. Yep, but anyway. So the MCU, uh, Black Widow, opened up this past weekend to the tune of $80 million in theaters in the States. And there is $78 million internationally, and apparently on Disney Plus, because you could order it with the, whatever they call a premiere access. I think it's because something like that, yeah. Yeah, that brought in another additional $60 million on Disney Plus. So all told, if you count all that, you're talking $218 million opening weekend. I think there's a good chance that Black Widow is going to hit a billion dollars by the time it's over. Do you think that's possible? Oh, yeah. At least a half a billion for sure. I mean, it's almost a quarter of a billion now. And I'll talk about it later when we do our spoiler review. Part of it is there's just not a whole lot of competition, but, you know. Right, right. There was Fast 9, but really, again, because of the pandemic that we're finally hopefully seeing the light at the end of the tunnel with, it was actually the highest grossing weekend since around the time Rise of Skywalker came out. So you're talking... You have to go back over a year before the pandemic to find an opening weekend this big. Yeah, there you go. So, like Train said, we'll save our review and our spoiler-tastic talk about that uh, for the end of the show. Another thing that came out of the recent Marvel news is uh, producer Kevin Feige had said there's going to be no more long-term picture deals. Because as we, most of us know, people like Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Samuel Jackson... They all signed these huge movie deals for something like nine films. And right. apparently they're not going to be doing that anymore. My hunch, obviously I don't know if this is the case, but my hunch is at least some of this could be because they can do these Disney Plus series. And really, if you got a six-episode, eight-episode miniseries, that's like the equivalent of about two or three movies worth of material right there. So maybe that's what they're thinking. I don't know. That's possible. But even with that, though, you think there's still going to have to be some contractual obligation. There's still going to be a contract signed. But it's you're right. It's not the same as a, a major motion picture type contract, I would think. And look, as much as we both love Hawkeye, I don't really think Hawkeye necessarily would have gotten his own feature film. I mean, look at how long it took Natasha to get her own movie. And that came out after she right. was dead. I think peripheral to that. That news that Feige made this announcement around the same time that people started noticing that RDJ's Instagram account had unfollowed several other key players from the MCU, like Chris Evans and Tom Holland, who we like, they're not going to be around anymore either, as far as I know. I mean, Chris's contract's done, and Tom's got the one more movie, and then it's back to Sony, right? I think so, but I can't help but think there's going to be something else worked out. Uh, that that's just my hunch. I don't know if there'll be any. Is that your hunch deals. or your hope? <laughs> yeah, both probably. You know, <laughs> a little bit of both. Okay, right. Uh, fair enough. I I could sit here and put out different things I like and don't like about how Spider Man is in the in the current movies, but none of that is Tom Holland's fault. I think for right. what they want 
Peter Parker to be in the year of our Lord 2021. I think Tom Holland's great. I just, I look, I read the comics. It's like, mm, not quite the same, but. And, and on the Instagram thing, you have pointed out multiple times that Robert Downey Jr. does not run his Instagram account. One of his handlers does, right. his assistant or something does. So this could have been even unknowns to him. I don't think this means there's like all of a sudden this friction between him and Chris Evans or friction between him and Tom Holland. I'm pretty sure he's friendly with both of them. But I also know that the other thing, too, is Robert Downey Jr. has kind of said he's stepping away from acting and wants to move more into like the documentary at work, I believe, as a producer and a director. And also, you've got to remember his father just recently passed away, who was very influential in his life. So he's he's mourning. So there's a lot going on. And I think Chris Evans has said he's moving away from acting, too, didn't he? He's trying to do like some political podcast or uh, website now or something, isn't he? I think so. And really with Robert Downey Jr., his father, he was known more as a director, as a director. Than, yeah. than, than a filmmaker. And I know there were some people, because I was going around sending uh, messages to my friends, and I would get the text back, the OMG or something to that effect, because they saw Robert Downey Sr. passes away. And of course, they uh, for, at first think it's RDJ, and they're like, they get there in shock. I'm just like, no, J uh, you, stands for junior, folks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like you do realize Robert Downey Jr. means that there's a Robert Downey Sr., right? I, I, I hate to say that because it sounds like we're making making light well, of the dead. But. Yeah, but I think a lot of people don't know is that his father was a very, very highly thought of filmmaker and director, but he was an auteur. He didn't make blockbusters. Right. He made art films and, and, and Oscar-type films, so... That probably is part of the reason a lot of people had, didn't realize that. And I know for a while he was getting walk-on parts in RDJ's movies, but that was just for a gag, you might say. Right. Well, I mean, as the being the fan of MASH that I am, there what's his name? Uh, Alan Alda's father, Robert Alda, had several different walk-on roles on MASH. And it wasn't that Rob, I mean, Robert is a, was a director and actor just like Alan. It just, hey, it's what you do. You know it? Yeah. It's family. Okay, Dom. <laughs> Nothing stronger than family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> I set you up for that one. I was a yeah. softball for you. <laughs> right. Now, one other thing about Marvel, we did get the trailer for What If, and I'm looking forward to this because I haven't read every What If. I've read the ones that intrigue me the most, like ones where Frank Castle becomes Captain America. I like the one where uh, Peter Parker keeps the cosmic po- power cosmic instead of letting it back so yeah anyway yeah or, or the uh, in the first appearance of wolverine what if he had killed the hulk at that point yes uh, that's a good one that is a good one wasn't there a what if uh dr doom had not scarred his face i believe there was one of those yeah and i know there was another one because when i was in my teens punisher was my favorite one of my favorite characters and i remember there was one about what if punisher's family hadn't been killed and then by the end of the story his family's killed anyway it was Punisher's just incapable of escaping his destiny. He's just he's always going to have his family wiped out, and he's always going to have a vendetta. That is the path that destiny has chosen for Frank Castle, and he cannot avoid it, regardless. Right. But the what if for Disney Plus? This is going to be based on all the stuff we've seen in the MCU, just with variances, and it is going to be animated. Most of the actors and actresses are reprising the roles, but we did hear there are a few exceptions. There, uh-huh. Robert Downey Jr. is not going to be Iron Man. Benedict Cumberbatch is not going to be Doctor Strange. And there's a couple others, I think. That I think you said before off mic. That, Brie uh, Larson. Chris- I think Brie, Brie Larson is not coming back as, as Carol Danvers. That's three heavy hitters right there. Yeah. Do we know about Chris Evans? or I haven't heard. The ones I know for sure are Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger, Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow, Anthony Mackie as Sam Wilson, Tom Holland as Spider-Man, um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones I know for sure I've seen. Um, these are the ones that we know we're going to get. Yes, these are ones that they've already they've already recorded their stuff. Uh, Jeff Goldblum as uh, Grandmaster and bittersweet Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa, and I right. think probably one of his last, if not last, roles before his unfortunate passing. Yeah, it's certainly for Marvel, but I guess, I guess it seems kind of fitting that that movie that kind of made him an A-lister on all fronts. And that's what one of the final roles for him. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's eerily similar to me to Brandon Lee. The movie that finally broke Brandon Lee to a mainstream audience was also his last movie because of an right. uh, of an untimely death. So, huh? that's that is a what if in and of itself, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, I could say so. I'm, I'm looking through some of the credits here. We do have Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Yes, yes, I remember, I remember he is returning as well, yeah. Yeah, Chris Hemsworth is still going to be Thor. Well, I'm seeing these, maybe these characters that uh, we're not getting the voices for, maybe they just haven't been recorded yet. But what I was going to say about Robert Downey Jr. And, and Iron Man is if you watch the animated series uh, Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes, came out about uh-huh. uh, 2010 or so. Yeah, yeah. The guy that plays Tony in that, he is one of those, you take a, a second look, it's like, wait a minute. Did they really get RDJ for this? He, he does such a good impression that I, I think it could be done. And there, there are voice actors out there who... Who can do that. Yeah, they, they can voice match because naturally, obviously I'm not a filmmaker, but a lot of movies in Hollywood, the dialogue is almost never on set. It's all re-recorded yeah, in studio ADR, later. ADR work, yep. Right. So there are voice actors who will voice match these A-list actors when the actor doesn't have time to do these Especially right. like if, let's just say, if Robert Downey Jr. is going to get punched in the gut and he goes, oof, you don't necessarily need to get Robert Downey Jr. in the studio to record that oof. Right. You know, you can, well, so. I mean, to stay in the comic book world, famously Troy Baker voicing the Joker in Batman Arkham Origins and Mark Hamill even joking, was I like really young and drunk when I recorded this because right. Troy Baker did such a good like like Mark Hamill version of the Joker mm-hmm. right <laughs> yeah and then another step in that in the Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja yeah. Turtles DVD he does both Joker and Batman in that who was Troy Baker Troy Baker yeah Troy Baker did both Batman and Joker in the Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles you're the more the voice actor guy than I am but the top flight voice actors which most of their work now is video games, the Nolan Norris, the Troy Bakers, they're making as much money as a regular on-screen actor, aren't they? I would think so. I, I know they're probably not making like millions upon millions, but certainly enough to, to make a decent living, live, I would imagine. Live quite comfortably, yes. Right. Yeah. Frank Welker, it's, it's, you know, when you factor in everything he's done voice works for, it's like he's the highest grossing actor in, in like the history of time because he does all yeah. of this voice work for... You know, critters and minor characters and things like that. And here, somebody yeah. like me remembers, yeah. oh, Megatron. Right. When you go into that pantheon of voice actors, you have Mel Blanc, you have Frank Welker, and then you got Nolan North and everybody else is just trying to keep up. Yeah. Anything else in the movie or TV world that we wanted to talk about before we move on? Or? No, no. I, 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 when is What If Dropping? That's that's the next Marvel Yeah, I series. think it's in September. It's going to be out this year, but it's still probably going to be a couple months. I know. I think the first episode is going to be where Steve Rogers fails at taking the Super Soldier Serum and Peggy winds up taking it, so she's Captain Carter by the time it's Haley over. Atwell is another one that has been confirmed mm-hmm. to voice over her character. Right. So, right. yeah. So it's we're looking at it dropping around the same time that Shang-Chi will be hitting theaters. Actually, August 11th, so almost exactly well, one month from. Well, that's and that, and that's kind of been their that's kind of been their mo because WandaVision ended, and then about a month later we got Falcon Winter Soldier, and then it ended and about a, a month later we got Loki. Loki's ending with the next episode, so it's going to be about a month. And that seems to be their formula, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But moving on, there there have been two unfortunate passings in the entertainment world over the past uh, week or two. And one of them, Richard Donner, he was a lot older than I, I, I thought he was. He passed at the age well, yeah. of 91. and That's a full life by anybody's measure, I think. Yeah, yeah. so uh, a few things about him that I, that I learned when looking him up to research for Geekville here. He was actually born Richard Schwarzberg in New York in 1930. And he actually Kinda like saw- Stan Lee Bewitz, changed mm-hmm. his name to Stan Lee. A lot of Jewish folks did that back then. <laughs> right. Uh, and he actually started out a career as an actor, but then by his late 20s, he was winding up being behind the camera instead of in front of it. He actually was working for Desilu, the company formed by Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. And he was doing commercials. And over the next few years, he actually went into Westerns. So he did episodes of Have Gun, Will Travel, The Rifleman, Wanted Dead or Alive. And then by the end of the 1960s, he had branched out into Shows like The Twilight Zone, The Man from Uncle, and even did episodes of The Banana Splits, that slapstick uh, children's Saturday show morning. that, yeah. Yeah, that I, I used to watch uh, back in, in grade school in the 80s. So yeah, Richard Donner doing The Banana Splits just sounds all, all kinds of weird. But then <laughs> in, the, in the 70s, that's where he got his name because he did the original Omen, arguably one of the greatest horror films of all time. 
And right, and all all the listeners of Examining the Dead know that was the first horror movie I ever saw as a horror fan when I was five. But <laughs> right, and I think his name was kind of cemented as an A list director because he did Superman the movie in 1978. And mm-hmm. really, what I will probably remember him for simply because of the age thing was Goonies. He did the Goonies in 1985, and the reason why I bring that up is because I was at the perfect age when I saw that movie. Yep. I was about yep. 10, 10, 11 years old, and it's about 10 or 11-year-old kids going on an adventure and learning about the pirate ship and all that. So that was right up my alley. Yeah. Uh, for me, Goonies, there's a lot of reasons why I like Goonies. There's multiple reasons why I like Goonies. But for me now, as a 50-year-old man, I look back and find it funny to watch now because you get to see a teenage Thanos, Josh mm-hmm. Brolin, as a teenager. So yeah. that's kind of Kind of always entertaining, isn't it? Yeah, and Lady Hawk was around that time, too. And, of course, in the 80s and 90s, he did all four Lethal Weapon movies. If you take Omen, Superman, Lady Hawk, Goonies, Lethal Weapon, that's a full geek card right there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, just alone in that. Yeah. Forget the fact that, oh, yeah, by the way, he did The Man from U.N.C.L.E. and Twilight Zone episodes and all those westerns. And I could totally see him as an actor because, I mean, he wasn't a bad-looking guy. He looks like he had the looks of a leading man. Well, I didn't know that either. When you brought it up, I was like, "Well, that yeah, that makes sense." And all those westerns, because he did he did the Maverick movie, right? Yes, the uh, with uh, with uh, Mel, Mel Gibson, Gibson yeah. and James Garner and yeah. uh, Jodie Foster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really liked the ending of that, even though kind of in hindsight you see it coming, where Mel Gibson throughout the whole movie is like, "Well, my dad told me this, and yeah, my daddy told me that told me that," and then in, in, in like the epilogue of the movie, Mel Gibson says, "Well, my daddy taught me that." And then finally, James Garner says, I never said that. James Garner was his father <laughs> that, the whole the movie. That's the payoff that he yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> He's Brett Maverick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just kind of curious to see if he did any of the TV episodes of Maverick. Maverick. Not that I can see. He did Wagon Train, which is another big TV series western from back in the day. Hey, he directed a couple. He directed five episodes of Have Gun, Will Travel, which was my favorite TV western. That was Paladin, yeah. Oh, yeah. Paladin was yeah. awesome. I don't want to get sidetracked on on that away from this stuff. But I, I remember hearing in the early 90s, because this is when I was working in movie theaters, that for a while there was an attempt at doing a revival of Have Gun Will Travel with Patrick Swayze. And that would have worked. Oh, that, that would incredible. Paladin was the first character I think I ever saw long before hip hop that had a pimp cane, had, had like, like, like a vanity cane. <laughs> But we also lost over this past week an actor. You may not recognize the name, but if you're around our age, you definitely saw You've him in something. Him. And that is William Smith. He passed away at the age of 88. He was born in 1933. And really what he is probably best known for was Rich Man, Poor Man in the 70s. But he was in just about every 80s show that we watched. It's also possible his highest grossing role may have been he was the bad guy in any which way you can. He spends like the entire second Mm -hmm. half of the movie in a fist fight with Clint Eastwood. Yep. But you go through what he did in the 80s. He was in all those shows. He was in Dukes of Hazzard. He was in Airwolf. I think he was in Knight Rider. All those. And he was just... Simon Simon. Three episodes of Chips. He was just a big, wide... Badass-looking dude with a Sam Elliott-level mustache, and yep. he almost always played the heavy. He, he always played the tough guy, and almost always as a villain, too. And then you see him in the short-lived series Wild Side, which also starred the great Terry Funk in a series, and also had, I'm forgetting the actor's name, but the actor that played Bannister Sparks, he went on to play Virgil Tibbs in the In the Heat of the Night revival a few years later. Oh, you're talking about you're talking about Howard Rowland. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. But you see guys like two guys like William Smith and Terry Funk, if they're looking at you wrong, it's like run. Yeah, yeah. My fondest memories of him would be that incredible role as the I think it's like he's a colonel Spetsnaz, which was the old Soviet essentially their special forces, but he played a Spetsnaz colonel from the original red dawn movie the one with swayze and charlie sheen and all that good one yeah and he's brought in by moscow to hunt down the wolverines Mm -hmm. and has that great last stand shoot off with patrick swayze at the end of the movie he was perfectly cast for that and i don't speak russian but he sure sounded convincing speaking russian with a russian accent didn't he right 
Uh, he was also had a very, multiple recurring roles in the old Hawaii Five O with mm-hmm. Jack Lord as Chemo, yeah. as a good guy. Well, the few times he was a good guy, you know. Yeah, and this is just kind of funny here, just because of the name. But in 1981, he was in a two-part episode of BJ and the Bear, and the episode was called The Fast and the Furious. Boy, that's <laughs> got a mashup in my head right now because I'm picturing BJ and the Bear's rig now chasing Dom and his uh, charger. <laughs> it's what that might have looked like. Uh, another memory for me, and he wasn't really a good guy or a bad guy, and he was without his mustache. I- I've-, I've talked before about my love of the outsiders, not – Kevin Hall and, and, and or Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, the wrestling, but the early 80s Brat Pack movie based on the S.E. Hinton novel where he plays a store clerk that gets in a gunfight with Matt Dillon at the end of the movie. So those were my my remembrances of him were mostly Red Dawn, Outsiders, because those were two of my favorite movies growing up, and then Hawaii Five O, which I loved that show because, well, come on, it's still to this day, is it one of the greatest theme songs ever in a television show? Absolutely, yeah. It's the Ventures. How can you go yeah. wrong? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Ventures fan. One of the first albums I ever bought with my own money was the Ventures Greatest Hits. So uh, all those big songs like uh, Walk, Don't Run. You had said off mic, you don't think you've ever watched the original series, an episode from start to finish. I could say the same thing about the reboot they did a few years ago on CBS. I don't think I've yeah. ever watched one of those. From, yeah. But as far as I know, it was a hit. So Yeah, and, and they kept the same theme. So Yeah, and it's... Uh, off topic to William Smith, we've talked about doing Hawaii Five O as as a nostalgia trip. That model will always work. It's Hawaii, so you know it's beautiful people in beautiful locations, and you just do a cop show, and it it kind of sells itself, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You, you get uh, some nice action, a cool car. It's it's Hawaii, so you just have the beach scenes with all the hot women and such. Yeah, guys without shirts, so something for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, heck yeah. Yeah. Well, that's going to wind up our news talk here. We definitely want to uh, extend our condolences to the families of Richard Donner and William Smith. I want to thank them for all the years of entertainment they've given us. Anything else you wanted to say, Train, before we move on? Or? Nope, nope. Let's go ahead and pay some bills. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to dive into our predictions for the season finale of Loki, and then we'll wind it up with our Black Widow review. This is Geekville Radio, and we'll be right back. Are you looking for a gaming-themed podcast? Then check out You Just Got Fragged. Join host Jared Aubrey and his panel of gaming enthusiasts as they discuss news and accomplishments in the gaming world, and of course, the gripe of the week. That's all at YouJustGotFragged.com, part of the Wrestling Brethren podcast family. Attention all time lords and ladies. This message is being sent by Lady President Romana and the High Council of Gallifrey. Geekville Radio presents Examining the Doctor. Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor about everybody's favorite Time Lord, the Doctor. From Hartnell to Whitaker, Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for favorite and not-so-favorite Doctor Who stories. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, GeekvilleRadio.com, or wherever podcasts can be found. Spoiler alert! All right, we are back, ladies and gentlemen. We're waving a spoiler tag because we're talking our predictions for Loki. And I, while these are predictions, some of the stuff we're going to be talking about could potentially be a spoiler, especially if you are behind on episodes. But episode six is set to drop this week. And last week ended with... Loki and Sylvie pretty much are approaching the castle or lair of whoever this person is supposed to be at the end of time. And our speculation as far as who that might actually be, because that's kind of been the question since this, the show started, was who is behind the TVA, who is behind doing all this. My main prediction may not be a very original one, but the show is called Loki. And we know that it's about Loki, and we know that everything Loki says and does is to benefit one person, and that's Loki. So I'm thinking the final boss is Loki in some form, whether it's one from the future, whether it's somehow the one that we see, say, in Dark World or something to that effect. I'm, I'm not sure, but I think we're going to get some measure of another Loki variant as, as the final boss. What do you think about that? I actually take another route. 
I think the final boss is going to be Kang. I think we talked about last time we talked Loki, Kang, time travel is kind of his shtick. And the fact that the, the main lady running the TVA is Ravona, who has this tie to Kang in the comics, kind of cements me on that. So there's two possibilities, I think. I, I'll just put it this way. I do not think, and I would be very highly surprised if it's anything but one of the two things we named. <laughs> right, right. I The only other person I could think of or comic book character that it could be is the Beyonder. And just the fact that they've dangled that carrot of Ravona makes me think Kang. And like you said, it is Loki, so that fits too. But I don't, I don't see anything else really fitting, do you? No, no. I know I said before that we, maybe we might get a Baron Mordo cameo. Not that Baron Mordo would be the guy at the end of time, but he might be a, oh, so this is what you do, or, or something to that effect. Are you still feeling that's going to happen, or are you, you kind of backing uh, off I'm of leaning that away from it now because it would kind of be an unnecessary complication to do it now, especially since we're mm-hmm. looking at it being the last episode. Maybe they might do it as a post-credits segment or something like that. We didn't even get strange in a post-credit WandaVision, so who knows? But one of the things that makes me think about when you bring up Kane is he goes through a lot of aliases, and one of them that jumps out at me it's a cool sounding name and, and such but it was immortus because he was he like in limbo or something like that which is kind of where yeah, tba is in the right, first yeah. place so maybe yeah, we might get a rama tucked or whatever he, he reminds me of barry windham where you know or, or no it's not barry windham but barry darso in wrestling where he had like what 19 gimmicks <laughs> right before he finally retired he was crusher khrushchev he was he was Smash. repo man he was uh, blacktop bully, he was... Yeah. <laughs> None as great as Smash a Demolition, in my opinion. Right, Smash. What was the what was the evil golfer he played for a while in WCW? I, I yeah, think he Barry Darso, yeah. I think it was just Barry Darso. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, Demolition, Smash, and Crusher Khrushchev were probably his two best. Right. But just for the record here, in case we hear some of these names, yeah, Ramatut, Immortus, the Scarlet Centurion, Victor Timely... Boy, that, that's a Stan Lee name if I've ever heard yeah. of <laughs> uh, If we hear any of those names in the series finale, or season finale, I should say, because I, I believe there is going to be a, a season two. If we hear okay. any of those names, we know that's probably going to be Kang in the end of things. Yeah, yeah. Are we going to get an explanation as to why Loki is evil again in Dark World, or do you think he's just been kind of playing good guy the whole time and through this series? <sighs> Well, that's interesting. I think Dark World is the beginning of the softening of the Loki character. Yes, we talk about how at the end he fools Thor by posing as Odin, but he did willingly help Thor and he didn't betray Thor. Right. And he is definitely moved by the death of of, of Frigga. Yeah. You know, I think that was a big thing behind it because while he was evil. He did seem to love Frigga, and he clearly didn't care much for Odin, but it seems like his mother, he, right. he did genuinely love and or care ma- about. To make it worse, he realizes now, at least this Loki does in the series, it was his advice, so to speak, to curse that led directly to Frigga's death. So that, I think there's some guilt at play. And I think that is the moment in the MCU where we begin to see the softening or the turn, to use the wrestling terminology, of the Loki character. So I think you can take that and and, and drop a reformed Loki at the end of the series or the end of the season here, and it fits with with the Loki that's presented in Dark World. Yeah, and remember that as far as how the timeline goes, when we got the classic Loki, as they were calling it. That's what he was credited as, Richard E. Grant. I was calling him cosplay Loki in my reviews. He revealed that thing about how he used an allusion to fool Thanos when Thanos killed him. So that may have given Loki the ideas to do what he did in Dark World, and it could be an allusion Loki in Infinity War that we see get killed. And if we're led to believe, based on costuming, that the Richard E. Grant variant, Loki variant, was meant to be the 1960s version of loki yeah that you see on the cover of avengers number one right right exactly that loki was much more about using illusions than he was this iteration that we see now with the daggers and stuff so the fact that that variant 
relies heavily on illusions, tells the Tom Hiddleston Loki, that's what I do, and then even uses illusions to help Sylvie and Loki at the end. It kind of may all makes sense, doesn't it? Use your illusions? What, are you going to bring in a Guns N' Roses reference while we're at it, too? <laughs> if you want. Yeah. What, what you have to add, I have one or two, though. There's right. no an argument. <laughs> <laughs> now, as far as Sylvie goes, do you think she lives or dies? I think she lives. I think she's going to become their version of, of, of the Enchantress in, mm-hmm. in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, because I, I think the director had, had confirmed that they essentially amalgamized the Lady Loki from the comics with the Enchantress, and that's how they came up with, with their character. And it wouldn't be the first time they've kind of played fast and loose with some characters from the comics. Kind of like how Ivan in Iron Man 2, they basically took the character who should have been Crimson Dynamo and then made him Whiplash. Right. They combined kind of Crimson Dynamo and Whiplash and made him one and the same. Exactly. And I don't even know if Ivan's in the comics. His, his father, Anton, is. The whole idea of Anton defecting from the Soviet Union of America and becoming a partner of Howard Stark, that's all from the comic. But I don't ever remember there being an Ivan, do you? No, I don't, I don't think so either. So, yeah. It's what they do. We talk about it all the time here. Obviously, a lot of the people doing these movies are big comic book geeks like us, but you have to be able to temper that with what can I put in a two-hour movie and what is going to sell to a casual general audience. Right. Right. We talk about all the time. It was the motivation that Thanos has in the comics to build the Infinity Gauntlet and do what he does is essentially to impress a woman, impress Lady Death. This is a concept they didn't go with in the movies because it's probably too geeky and comic booky to yeah. sell to a large audience. He's basically trying to impress a skeleton. Okay. Yes. You know? Who won't give him the time of day because she sees himself herself as above Thanos. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And really with the whole Sylvie Loki ship thing that's been going on, I'm sure there's tons of pages of fan fiction and, and shipper fiction written about them. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it's kind of the, I don't want to say obvious joke, but it's like, well, Loki is very narcissistic, so I guess it's only fitting that he would fall in love with a version of himself. Oh, well, Mobius said that a couple episodes Mm -hmm. ago. Wow, you two really, of course, you've fallen in love with yourself. (laughs) (laughs) It it is the Loki thing to do, isn't it? (laughs) So we're looking at either Loki or Kang as uh, the big baddie, and we think... Mm -hmm. I think we both agree Sylvie's probably going to make it and essentially become Enchantress. It's weird because when you think about it, a lot of Asgardians have died in the MCU. Frigga, Odin, Hela, Heimdall, Loki, until now, the Warriors 3. For these near-immortal space gods, they kill them off willy-nilly in the MCU, don't they? (laughs) Look at how many Hela killed off at once. Yeah, she's one-shotter. Uh, well, Curse is dead. Uh, uh, well, he's not an Asgardian. He's a dark elf. But Curse and, 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 and Malekith, that's not the branch of the MCU you want to get involved with if you want a long-term career. So I'd say right. as an actor, <laughs> they're going to get you off eventually. So, okay. Well, I guess we will move on then to kind of the, the main course of this episode. We're going to talk Black Widow. Like we said, uh, if you factor in orders on Disney+, Plus, it's... Gross $218 million. The best way I could describe this is I think it was a good movie. It's a great action movie, not uh, an accurate comic movie. Now, the caveat to that is while Natasha has this very rich history in the comics, she doesn't take center stage very much. If, if anything, she didn't start taking center stage much until after Scarlett Johansson's first appearance came out because I think it built some interest in the character. Now she's got an ongoing series. And there, I think there was a, a few uh, written by, I want to say, Mark Wade, who's one of my favorite writers. Sure. But throughout the vast majority of her history, she was just part of the Avengers. So mm-hmm. I think the idea is maybe since there, were, or there weren't too many huge storylines to follow, I know there were some, but we're talking again with, with her being center stage, they kind of went the way they did. To me, the best example of how they deviated from the comics is Red Guardian. David Harbour's character, it's clear even from the trailers that Red Guardian is like a father figure to her. But in the comics, they were married. And that was a arranged marriage. But he's also dead in the comics, hence why she was called Black Widow in the first place. I, I have that pretty right. close, right? 
I thought that she was called Black Widow because even in the comics, that was the Black Widow was the name of the special well, was the Red Room program program yeah. she was in that the Soviets mm-hmm. ran. Yeah, but maybe maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I don't know. Um, Either way, she actually is a widow in the comics. Yes, yes, yes. True. For me, I expected that because of what we just talked about with Loki. We both know that what's going to work to a grander audience. I remember saying a couple years ago when the movie was first announced, I was I was kind of reluctant because for years, ever since like you said, ever since Scarlett Johansson showed up and her portrayal, all of a sudden she became this fan favorite that people want to elevate it in the comics as well. And I kept saying, I don't know unless they create whole cloth, there's enough there to do a Black Widow standalone movie. She has always been a secondary support character and she has been in the movies as well. We got the movie and I think it was a great action movie. It Marvel knows how to do that family-friendly PG, PG-13, high action, not a lot of cussing, a lot, not a gore action. We got that. This so That was all very well done. But the fact that, like you said, it, I mean, the story's not bad, but my, my takeaway was nothing, utterly and absolutely nothing about this movie, with the exception of the post credit scene, does anything to progress the main MCU storyline along, and there has never been an MCU movie before now that you could say that about. Right. Every yeah. one of them had something that pushed us towards the next Avengers or the next movie. Nothing about it. And I know it's because Scarlett Johansson is not going to reprise the role. I know that she's uh, that Blackwood is already dead, and so this is chronologically speaking, when you look timeline order, it's it's in between Civil War and Infinity War. But with all that being said, I feel almost vindicated. Like, see, see, I told you guys, good movie. Love Scarlett Johansson in the role. But the fact that there wasn't enough meat on the bone there to give us a compelling story that pushed along the main overarching storyline should tell you she's just a support character. And right. I know that's an unpopular opinion, but I'm used to having unpopular opinions. Yeah. You know, so. Now, I, I know some people hearing what I'm about to say are going to give me a double glance go, what? One of the things I really liked about the movie is there was no love interest. There was no kind of back and Romantic. forth, the banter, and then you finally get the big kiss at the end. I was glad that it didn't yeah, have that. Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of become a little bit overused in action movies, hasn't it? Right, right. So I was happy that it was just the, okay, beat the bad guys. That's all we have to worry about. Yeah, you know, there's an off-maligned action movie from the early 90s called Eraser. Mm-hmm. stars Vanessa Williams and, and James Caan yeah. and, and the main and the main character. I, I think that was his big comeback after uh, Last Action Hero, I want to say. I think it was. And I love that movie. It came out around the same time as the Harrison Ford Fugitive. Mm-hmm. And I love it for the exact same reason. It was this great Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie. There was there was no romantic tension between the Vanessa B. Williams character and the Arnold Schwarzenegger. She was just he plays a U.S. Marshal who's a wits who works in the Witsec program, and she's the informant that he's protecting. It's just she trusts him because he's the one marshal that's proven he can be trusted, and she's just his job to protect her. There's no romantic overtones whatsoever. And it is so rare. That's why I liked that movie. And that is one of the things I liked about this movie, too. Like you said, yeah. there is no romantic overtones. Whatsoever. It's just an action movie. Yeah. The most you see yeah. as far as anything even remotely sexual is I think you see Natasha change shirts and it's from the back. And that's just to show all the bruises and scars she has on her back. Exactly. Yeah. No, there was the one sexual scene that was used for comedic relief. Where when when they break Red Guardian out of the prison oh, yeah. and he tells the Rachel Weiss, uh, you know, he's like, I've been locked up for thirty years. I have a lot of, of aggression or emotion or something like that. Yeah. It's like the old trope: a guy gets out of prison. What's the first thing he's going to do? Buy a beer. What's the second thing he's going to do? Get a hooker. That kind mm-hmm. of thing. <laughs> right. Now, one thing that I know some fans were disappointed in was Taskmaster. We we kind of figured just going from the trailers that it was going to be uh, a woman underneath the armor, underneath mm-hmm. the mask. Right. I know I had made the prediction that it was going to be the Rachel Weisz character, although she actually turned out to be, if if I have my history right, right she was Marvel's version of Iron Maiden. Obviously, no connection right, to the band, right. but just another kind and of... And isn't that a darn shame? But yeah. how did I digress? <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and I don't think Iron Maiden has any real direct connection to Natasha in, in, in the comics. I could be wrong there. 
Well, both of them have been around so long, they, they more than likely have crossed paths once or twice before. Right, right. But uh, cer- certainly no no relation as far as the, the uh, oh, adoptive no. family. Oh, or like, a like fami- of a family type, yeah. Right. Now, as far as Taskmaster goes, like I said, I going from the trailers, I thought it was going to be Rachel Weiss, but... Then once they started getting into the movie and they, they, they dropped the hints there where Natasha had said, oh, oh, yeah, I killed his daughter years ago. And then here's yeah, this taskmaster yeah. that suddenly has all the moves that, that she does. And it's like, oh, gee, I wonder who it could be, you know? <laughs> I, I actually liked how they handled Taskmaster, too, because Taskmaster's mm-hmm. power, air quotes there, in the comics is he is able to watch any fighter fight and perfectly mimic their fighting style well they gave an actual like scientific explanation in the movie that mm-hmm. because of the injuries that she had received in this failed attempt by by natasha and clint to kill her dad and even natasha says i didn't try i wasn't trying to kill her she was just collateral damage that he it's revealed later in the movie by was it drake off or whatever the guy that runs the the red room that makes the black widows he said, you know, I had to put a chip in her head just to save her life. And the chip is shown early in the movie to be almost, I guess, like a neural link that, it, that right. allows her to do to do, to do this this power. To it's essentially a mind control uh, type thing, right? And there and and there is a there are subtle hints. He, he Drakeoff tells Natasha at one point, yeah, and and he and she can fight like all your friends. And of course, he's referring to the Avengers. So there's subtle homages to other Avengers. In Taskmaster, the shield and the way she used the shield like Cap. She has some claws like T'Challa. She shoots a bow like Hawkeye at one point. So I thought that was nice. Subtle. You, if you miss it, it doesn't matter. If you catch it, like, oh, that's cool. Right. And what I was getting at as far as Taskmaster, because I know there's people that didn't like that because the, the way like it was explained. And so, what I probably would have done instead is instead of going with the Taskmaster look, you have all these other widows and... Instead of all in black, you have the one that's red that's clearly superior to the others. It's like a leader because there there was a Red Widow in the comics. I actually think it was Yelena for a while. It was. So the showdown at the end is Black Widow versus Red Widow. That's what I would have done. I can't truly claim that would be better, but that's what... Visually appealing, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And and the whole take on on the name. And one other thing that you you said you kind of feel vindicated about what what you were saying before. I, I feel kind of vindicated... When I was talking about how Scarlett Johansson never talked with an accent because she's this master spy, you notice uh-huh. early in the movie, the start, the, the stuff that takes place in 1995, David Harbour's mm-hmm. not talking with a Russian accent. It's not until he gets back with his Soviet People. friends that yeah. that he starts talking with the accent again. And you know, so I, I think that kind of backs up what Rachel uh, Weisz too. Yeah, yeah, that she just maybe she just learned how to talk with the accent, and did it so much that it just kind of became second nature. When you bring up 95, that is two of the smaller problems. I it, it, They didn't kill the movie for me. It just like, go, really? Come on, get a history book. The fact that the, the, the start of the movie is in 1995, and it's you kind of understand that they are a fake family that the Soviets have put together and then put in America to be spies with the David Harbour, Rachel Weisz character being, you know, and they give them two daughters, Yelena and Natasha. And then David Harbour as Red Guardian goes on later and even says, yeah, I, I had a purpose. I, I was the only Soviet super so, super soldier and all this. So you're led to believe that they are working for the Soviet government in 1995. One problem, the Soviet Union dissolved in 1991. Yeah, because I remember it was during the, during the uh, Bush senior years, if I recall. You know. Yeah. And then the other thing, too, and this is even smaller than that, was a young Natasha in 1995 has a 2000 or a 2021 multi multicolored hairdo in 1995. Yeah. I can tell you, I don't care how rebellious a kid was in 95. They didn't have hair, multiple hair colors like yeah, that. did I, they? I, I certainly don't recall any. And I, I, I was an adult then. And I but there were, I saw a lot of teenagers in those days. And none of them. Like, you might see yeah, some I was in, like the I was one in college purple. then. I was in college yeah. then. And a college that has, by I'm not I'm not spoiling anything. University of Georgia is always been known to have a very large bisexual and lesbian enrollment. Those were kind of the the, the culture that started that. What's moved now or just overall, but with that with the lesbian culture being the culture that first kind of embraced the multi crazy non natural hair color. I didn't even see it at Georgia in '95. So no. That's just little nitpicking things about right. being historically inaccurate. They're not. They don't break the movie for me. Does that make right, sense? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And 
you're talking about the post credit scene. And because that's mm-hmm. where we, at least from a timeline standpoint, got the first appearance of uh, Valentina and all, all her 17 different names. And when we saw her in Falcon and Winter Soldier, she was kind of ambiguous. Here, it's pretty clear that she has negative uh, motives. And right. She's a bad guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and no... it looks like it's more evidence that we're going to be getting Thunderbolt slash Dark Avengers because most of the, pe- mm-hmm. the people they were recruiting definitely matches with the Dark Avengers in that they mirror mm-hmm. one of the prominent Avengers in, in what they do in the comics. For those that are listening to this who don't really know the comics, there was a team in the comics called the Dark Avengers, and they did a similar thing to the Thunderbolts, uh, where the Thunderbolts were a villain team that masqueraded as heroes. But the Dark Avengers, they, they each kind of matched one of the Avengers. So instead of Iron Man, it was Iron Patriot. Instead of Captain America, it was U.S. Agent. And it was Norman Osborn that was in the armor, right? Right, right, exactly. And I think Yelena was part of that as well, because in the comics, Yelena was a competitor. I mean, they they still looked at each other as sisters because of the Red Room background, but Mm -hmm. they were not buddy buddies. But that that was the idea, is you had these characters that were... Were The dark reimagining of the Avengers. Yeah, because I think Bullseye was the Hawkeye equivalent, if I I recall Mm -hmm. correctly. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. it's it's remember we brought this up in our review of the of Falcon Winter Soldier series that this movie initially was supposed to come out before that series dropped right so we were actually supposed to get the appearance of Julia Louis Dreyfus as the Valentina character that we got in the postcard we were supposed to get it first so that makes sense now that I've seen it because they are not being ambiguous about it in this whereas they're a little more ambiguous in Falcon Winter Soldier. And if this had actually been released, it was supposed to be, she could be more ambiguous the second time she shows up because you know she's already a bad guy. Exactly. I think if they go that route, and I got no problems with Dark Avengers because it's, it, it, it makes sense, right? I do feel if they do go that route, though, it kind of really throws a monkey wrench in the first three phases, especially phase three. Because if the Dark Avengers wind up being run by an organization, whoever Valentina's working for, and then they go on and do bad things before they wake up and go, we need to be good guys. Doesn't that essentially completely vindicate Cap in the Civil War storyline and completely make, like, Tony look like a heel? Yeah, yeah. Because remember, Cap's major, major argument to Tony was, but those are still people that can have agenda. Mm -hmm. And I still think the decision on how to use our powers are best left in our hands, not in any group, not in any other individual. And if this plays out the way I'm afraid it might, Cap was right. He was a prophetic, wasn't he? It was a similar thing in the comics in the original Civil War, although in the original Civil War, Iron Man won and Cap died. Right. Obviously, he was brought back. But I think you understand how how that could kind of – the way they did Civil War in the movies – they didn't make Tony a straight out bad guy. They right. they presented it as here's the thing, and they presented it to where you could t- be Team Cap or Team Iron Man, and you wouldn't be right or wrong in choosing it. They both had solid points to why they were choosing what they choose. It was much more gray, and and I kind of liked that gray. And this completely makes it not gray. This right. completely makes it. Oh, see, Tony was wrong all along, and Steve was right. But then again. Tony's constantly making screw-ups in these movies. So even after he's dead, it should be that he was wrong. I guess that kind of does follow suit now that I yeah. think about it. But as far as a, a letter grade for a Black Widow, I'd probably give it maybe an A-. minus. I know there's all those discrepancies, but maybe I've just grown so numb to changes in the comics that it just doesn't bug me anymore, unless it's something that is like completely different from what the character would do. I guess that's when it would still bug me. But like you said, with all the history that has happened with Natasha. She's always been a side character. So to make her suddenly front and center, I don't have really have any problem with how they did it. So I look at it as a movie. I probably give it an A minus, but when you say it from a, a comic adaption, I don't think I could give it a letter grade just because how different it was. I give it an A minus because like you said, as an action, it's a great Marvel movie. I'm not as harsh on that as you are. I thought, Based on the source material, they gave us very good film versions of Red Guardian, of Iron Maiden, of Yelena, of, of all these characters. I was fine with it, of Taskmaster. So I was fine with that. I thought these were good movie adaptations of those characters. The reason I give, I give it an A- minus instead of just a straight-out A is 
one, the small historical inaccuracies, but two, and more importantly, what I said earlier, at the end of the day, as great a movie as it is, it doesn't fit in the shared universe because it did nothing to progress the major overarching storyline along. Right, right. And that could change because if things happen in phase four and phase five that we can refer back to, then I will... I withhold the the right to change my opinion on that. We talked about how once Disney Plus had dropped, I went and rewatched all the Marvel stuff in timeline order and rewatching some of the lesser thought of movies like Age of Ultron and Dark World, I began to realize, whoa, in the overall story arc, they are extremely important. We just didn't realize it at the time. This may wind up being that. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see where they go. Yeah. So yep. I withhold my, my my right to change my opinion. But right now, A minus simply only because as great a movie as it was, didn't really progress any, anything. Was it was it good to have? Yes. Was it important? No. Right. Right. It, it, really, the only thing we got from it is we can pretty much tell what the premise of the Hawkeye series is going to be. Right. Which we've already been told it's going to be him training Kate Bishop to be mm-hmm. his replacement, essentially. Yeah, and I think we know now that the main villain's going to be Yelena trying to stop that. Right, exactly. All right, that brings us to the end of this episode of Geekville Radio. As usual, if if this is the first time you're hearing us, we can be found at Geekville Radio. We are all over the podcatchers. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. You name it. Just do a search for Geekville Radio. You can find us. We are on the social medias at. Geekville Radio on Facebook and on Twitter. Drop us a line, give us a follow, give us a review uh, on the podcatcher of your choosing. Uh, let us know what we're doing well. Let us know what we're not doing so well. We do listen to all the feedback. The only thing that I ask for feedback is just make it genuine. Tell us how you really feel, because I welcome all all genuine feedback, uh, even if it's negative. And train if anybody wants to talk to you as far as uh, comics or Guns and Roses or anything else we've talked about today. <laughs> where can they find you? Yeah, I'm always available on Twitter at crazytrain underscore JB. That is pretty much my handle across all social media platforms. I am also an administrator on the Facebook page, so anything you leave there, I'll get as well. And we also have our sister shows. There's Examining the Dead, Examining the Doctor, where we talk Doctor Who, Examining the Dead, we talk horror. We got our Listener on Geek Hall of Fame. We got a Nostalgia Trip and such, so a uh, little different uh, geek flavors uh, depending on what your taste might be, so... I'm going to shut down the power here in the Geekville Radio Studios, and we will talk to you folks again next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the host and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of geekvillradio.com, a1-wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved.